As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? It's been a busy few days with the bean counters at Brighton and Hove Albion. So many beans. 115 million beans, Ken. Looks like the final eye-watering fee they've managed to extract from Chelsea for Moises Casado. With a nod of thanks to Liverpool for their role in proceedings, now there are rumblings another player could soon go for mega beans. One of the bright young talents of the Premier League, our own Evan Ferguson, still only 18 years old. Ferguson started on the bench against Luton on Saturday, came on in the 78th minute, hit the post with a beautiful curling shot and got his goal in injury time, charging forward to tap one in from close range. That strike had Gary Lineker breathlessly describing Ferguson as a born goal scorer. If I was in charge of recruitment at Spurs, I'd take a punt on him as Kane's replacement. Apologies to Brighton fans. You're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Good. My question to you is, how high will Tottenham go for Evan Ferguson well, before Todd Bowley comes in and blows him out of the water at the last minute? <laughs> Shake Todd. <laughs> Shake, Shake Todd. Shake Todd will not be denied. <laughs> Uh, look, uh, Tottenham can't afford Evan Ferguson. That's that's. They just got a hundred million in the bank from Kane, and and the rest for Evan. Well, uh, you know, he literally just signed a new contract. Um, Brighton know that Tottenham have a hundred million mm-hmm. in the bank, as you say, and that all adds up to being a lot of money. I mean, Moises Casado, Brighton bought for four million pounds. Right, like the Swiss Ramble just had a you know little uh, tweet just showing if Casado's sale to Chelsea is confirmed, Brighton will have made nearly three hundred million pounds from player sales in the last three seasons, <laughs> and just lays out the, the play. Casado uh, bought for four, sold for one hundred and fifteen, including add-ons. Uh, Robert Sanchez bought for zero, sold for twenty-five to Chelsea. Uh, Alexis McAllister bought for seven, sold for uh, fifty-five, including add-ons um, to Liverpool. 
uh, Mopay bought for 16 sold for 15 not one of the best deals they've done but still they got 15 million for Neil Mopay which it almost washed know, its own face uh, Trossard 14 million in 27 million out to Arsenal Cucurella 15 million in 62 million out uh, to Chelsea didn't play or didn't didn't start uh, yesterday for them 16 million including add-ons uh, Dan Byrne 3 million in 13 million out to Newcastle uh, ben White zero in fifty million out to Arsenal. That's good going. It's on. It's an absolute bean factory they've got going there. <laughs> this is we've never seen the like of this. <laughs> You're just going to say these guys are absolute geniuses, which is what makes me think when I see uh, when I see the news, <clears throat> Talksport at least. Uh, Brighton have Elmin are lining up Lille midfielder Carlos Baleba to replace Moises Casado. Lille, Valley Baleba, Baleba to add 20 million pounds. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many times how many times do people need to see this before they realise? This guy's soon to be sold. Yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're Liverpool or Chelsea or whoever, you're not looking at that guy. Say, well, let's sign him. For, yeah. Well, of course, if you're Liverpool or Chelsea, they're going to be charging more. Lille will charge more than 20 million pounds. I do think Evan Ferguson, we've been, we've been through this before. Brighton is a perfect place for him yeah. to, you know, ease into this amazing professional career that he's building for himself. First of all, he has to see off competition. They they broke their own club record on João Pedro, mm. the former what the signer from Watford for thirty million. He started yesterday. He scored as well from the penalty spot. wasn't amazing though. And then Ferguson came on and you know got his got his goal and looked really good in doing it. Just there's a, there's at least a season or two there where you can play at Brighton before moving elsewhere. And yeah. taking on all the pressure that comes with being Harry Kane's replacement, for example. Now, I did experience a, a little surge of anger for with Roberto De Zerbi when I saw that he was, and Ferguson was on the bench, yeah. um, as I'm sure you did, on, uh, presenting it on, uh, on TV. Yeah, Ogbeni was on the bench as well. <laughs> for Luton. That was what we came to see. Not ideal for the Irish angle. Um, well, I, I was, because I'm still in that like three-day phase where I'm, where I pay attention to my fantasy team, you know, and I was, oh, first, I was right, there. Right. But, but I've, I've got off to a, a Schmadkian, a, a York Schmadkian <laughs> start. Uh, unfortunately, it's due to clerical error. I uh, left Alexander Isaac on the bench uh, while selecting Pau Torres uh, of Aston Villa, so uh, you know th- the start. Uh, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of thirteen points sitting sitting on the bench, looking at me, going, "Why didn't you put me in?" I haven't done fantasy football in many years, Ken, but I would. I would have thought Isaac's an obvious buy, unless he's the, like, the most expensive player. Well, I thought game. so too. On Holland, Ferguson, and Isaac, I went with those three. Strong, strong. You know, it's uh, and then I only picked two of them. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure what was going on there. Richard Jolly and Jack Pitbrook are on the way today. You were going to say something else there before I, I move on? Was I? No, it looked like it was. Well, well, we, had, a we had Alex, uh, Alex Ferguson, Evan Ferguson, obviously scoring a goal, but we also had Sinclair Armstrong of Keep Your. Yeah. Scoring his first goal uh, for them in the championship and also setting up uh, another goal in their 2 1 win. The keep your manager, Lord Walder Frey, looking on proudly uh, from the bench at the um, the performance. Come on, get a cheap shot, poor Gareth Ainsworth. Well, uh, the, he uh, he put Sinclair Armstrong in, and he was rewarded. And uh, there was a nice little clip afterwards where you could see just how delighted he was to have uh, scored his first goal in the championship. It's a special moment when you score your first goal. What did it feel like? Oh, this is um, it, um, oh, oh. 
nah, this is something um, you know, I've been waiting for, you know, for a long time, you know. Of course last season it didn't happen, you know, and um you know, I just you know, I just kept praying and you know, you know, for just for just, you know, one opportunity to come and um you know, thankfully, you know, it happened today and also down to this, so yeah, I just want to put that out there. Um but yeah, I'm just um I'm delighted with the result and yeah, um hopefully more to come. Yes. Good man, that's so nice. Yeah, it's a heartwarming way to start the show. And Richard Jolly and Jack Pitbrook on the show today, as I mentioned. You become a member now to hear all of our coverage of the new Premier League season. It's only five euro a month plus VAT. Good value over the course of a whole season, I'm sure our current members would agree. We've also got our second captain's radio show going on RT Radio 1 again this summer, for those of you who don't know. And we had a bit of a career highlight over the weekend when our guest was Conan O'Brien, a genuine global superstar. He was an absolute dream to chat to, a force of nature, and it's fair to say Conan bought into the stupidity of some of the questions he was asked. I have a short question that I would like Conan O'Brien to answer for me. What would your nickname be if you were a professional wrestler slash boxer? Uh, I'd be called Ham Hands. <laughs> ham Hands. My hands are like boiled hams. Uh, it's a great image. A man with two giant hams for fists. And down to the point where I've even, on the holidays, I put little cloves on my hands. You know, little cloves and a little bit of honey and, and bake it for an extra hour to give it that nice sweet sheen. And then I'm pummeling my opponent. I'm pounding his melon with my ham hands. And when they're done, they're knocked out and there's just ham grease all over their face. Conan ham hands. Ham hands is so... You, you can imagine, you don't hear this bit on radio, obviously, you see this bit, but you can imagine the physical humour that also went with his ham hands, Ken. He waving really was. He, he really was waving them around, removing that very tall body of his. And i got to say as well, he was just as nice after the recording. I'm, I'm very pleased to report a uh, real sound man. We have an extended version of that interview available now to everybody. That's why I'm mentioning it here. So just search for Second Captain Saturday, wherever you get your podcasts, and spend an hour in the company of the great Conan O'Brien. You will not regret it. He's even given me a line I can use next time you annoyingly pull me up in my grammar, Ken. Why don't you have a nice tall glass of shut-up juice? You're going to be getting that next time you get all up in my grill when I'm getting into my flow at the start of a podcast. Now, please, report on sport. So, where are we? I think it's only fair that we should start with the uh, outstanding performance of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Jörg Schmadke uh, or anyone associated with that, but uh, Newcastle United. Oh my god, can I change my top four, please? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention because I got this, I have this kind of memory of Newcastle struggling to score a little bit. Remember they had they had bad runs. It was it January, February, where they were sort of it all looked a bit kind of constipated. You know, like maybe there was going to be some issues. Um it doesn't look like that. They look like an incredibly powerful, explosive, ruthless, um brilliant Evolving, they're evolving their style, Ken. Because one of the many criticisms, doubts you've had about the Newcastle project has also centered on the footballing side of things. You, you kind of felt like Eddie Howe would need to add a few more strings to their bow for them to kick on. And football-wise, it looks like he's done that. Well, I'm kind of maybe I was uh, I was thinking I, I wasn't really factoring what Isaac could do in enough because Isaac, when remember when he came in he then proceeded to miss loads of games you know he kind of didn't feature that much in the first half of the season it was only kind of the, the latter part of it that he started to show his potential but I see him now this 
guy is absolutely brilliant. You know, he's the, he's a kind of such an all-rounder. I mean, I think he can both score, like he's a good finisher, but he can do so much outside the box as well. Um, you know, and then the players that they've had, everyone is really strong. Everyone is powerful. Like, I mean, they've, they've just been so kind of structured in the way that they've gone about buying players. Like, they, I don't look at their signings and think, why have they signed this guy? Or mm. yeah. You can sort of see the... You can see the idea and you can see the kind of the kind of side he wants them to be. Well, Tonali and Harvey Barnes both scored on their debut, which always makes supporters feel good. Yeah. Um, they, you know, Tonali looks excellent. Uh, you know, they've, they've obviously sold San Maximin, who was kind of a, a fan favourite. Like, um, you know, the uh, Amaron maybe is not going to be playing it's like thanks for all those great goals but you know, you're not quite you don't quite fit the template here of a sort of bullish power that he kind of wants everyone to to have as a, as a prerequisite and I'm not saying that these aren't also really good players it's just that is Isaac really all about power he seems more Isaac like is a very, huge he's a very no I know he's a, he's a big guy but he doesn't I don't look at him and go wow he's powering through that he's kind of balletic and and quite elastic in his movements or I don't know what the best way of describing it is. he just moves in this unbelievably graceful kind of way yeah. and really flummoxes defenders with it and then has this nonchalant attitude even his celebrations are quite nonchalant it's like of course I've just chipped that ball in and had this fe- a little feather touch I think is another way of describing his his finishing ability and he's just so I don't know it's funny it's not the, the first thing I don't think of necessarily is this guy's a powerhouse well when I say power what I mean is uh, I don't mean strength I mean strength times speed if you yeah. know what I mean, like this is what explosiveness. This is, that's what he's got. Um, For sure. Yeah. I mean, like unlike a lot of these Newcastle players, and like I mean, so they're playing Man City and Liverpool next. That's the next two matches. Like they could, you know, win, win those games, and suddenly it's like Newcastle are emerging as possibly the main rival contenders this season. You know what I mean? Because City City obviously got off to a, a nice start, apart from the fact that De Bruyne got injured again. And it's the same injury as he had in the Champions League final. So this is going to be, a, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, whatever about uh, Gundogan and, and Mares leaving, and you know, they've brought, brought in players to kind of help replace them. You can't replace De Bruyne. He's, there isn't anyone else like that. There isn't anyone else who can do what he does. I mean, there uh, there will be, uh, I'm sure, at some point. But look around at the moment. I don't see anyone. You know, Pakita, they may be signing from West Ham. You know, West Ham are in a position where they could be have 200 million in sales from two midfielders. That's that's looking quite likely at this point. Um, you know, the team that finished 14th last season somehow had this like 200 million core, at, you know, running the, the center of their team. Look, we'll see how that works out. But none of the, none of these players can really do what De Bruyne does, and especially in terms of his special his special link up with Haaland, where he's just able to pick him out from practically anywhere in any situation. He can just put the ball where Haaland needs it to be to score. Um, and it's worrying. That's a huge it? huge dimension. It's worrying that lose. it's the same injuries as the Champions League final that shouldn't be happening again in the first day of the season should not be he's happening. either ready to play or he's not and he's rehabbed it and they know whether he's good to go it's, it's remarkable and for it to go in such an innocuous way it might have already happened before the moment he actually signalled that he was in trouble but the moment he signalled occurred after just a little tap five yard pass and he's turning to the bench and putting his hand up yeah it was like the, the Champions League final it was sort of weird as well it didn't seem like anything had really happened and then suddenly he was sitting on the ground and 
and that was that. And he said after the game, it snapped that after the Champions League final, which made it sound worse because if it had snapped, literally, like it would have been a full tear, like he seemed to be implying. There's no way he would have been playing um, on on Friday night, but. It seems as though he, he's going to miss a, a few weeks. So hold on a second there. Hold on a second now. Sorry to cut across you. But you are now, having given us a top four last week. I know. Look, oh, don't pay any attention to my top Manchester four. Manchester City was your number one. Man United, number two. Arsenal, number three. Chelsea, number four. You're now saying Newcastle are going to win the league. Owen, <laughs> why are you talking about... Well, why are you always talking, Owen, about the things that I get wrong? I mean, why not, you know, talk about, for, for example, the prediction that both... Moises Casado and Romeo Lavia would both end up at Chelsea. Mm. <laughs> well, Lavia, I thought, was Liverpool's last I heard this oh, morning. Oh, Owen. Has that moved on too? Yeah, I mean, it, seems, it seems like you haven't looked at the internet in the last five minutes. I haven't, no. I've taken five minutes off the internet and now it's all changed. So Liverpool aren't even going to get their consolation prize. Well, this, okay, what's been going on here is, honestly, this is one of the most staggering episodes I can remember I- in the entire history of Liverpool's transfer market dealings over the last however many decades. This is just, I can't, I can't believe how badly they have messed this up. It's just, so they spend all summer haggling for Romeo Lavia, 36 million, 38 million, 40, 42, 44, unwilling to pay the 50 million that Southampton are saying it's going to take to, to buy him. Then decide to switch to Caicedo. Mm-hmm who they obviously rate far higher as they're going to bid more than twice as much as they're prepared to pay, like two and a half times as much as they're prepared to pay for Lavia, only to lose out in this uh, record for them, uh, actually it would would have been a British record transfer attempt to Chelsea anyway, because they've done a deal with the player and his agent, uh, and he only wants to go there. <laughs> and then have to go back to their original target, who they now find they're going to have to pay sixty million for because Chelsea, whether it be retaliation or whether it was sort of desperation, oh, we have to get someone. What if we don't get Caicedo? Have gone in with a fifty-five million pound bid. So Liverpool now are going to have to pay sixty million if they want to sign this player, who apparently now, in a in a manner highly reminiscent of the Caicedo situation, saying, "I want to join Chelsea." Everyone wants to join Chelsea. It's a nine-year contract. I mean, Caicedo's on two hundred fifty grand a week for the next eight or nine years right it's more it's, so the value of the contract is, is 115 million or it's, it's nearly as much as the transfer fee <laughs> you know that's 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 in the bag I'd like to know where is Lavia now because when I heard last week when it was all going back and forth and there were bids and counter bids not even counter bids she just talk of Chelsea's counter bid it, uh, what, what struck me was the whole time it seemed as though the player was remaining in London which always made me feel like, okay, he's this guy wants to sign for Chelsea. So I don't know where Lavia is at the moment. Is he on Merseyside? That might give me a bit more confidence if as a Liverpool fan that he might actually play. But if that guy's hanging around Stamford Bridge at the moment, I think you might be in you might be in trouble. By the way, this seems to change every few minutes. So I think I might have started the chat with our two contributors today by saying that Lavia had signed for Liverpool and Caicedo for just leave that in, please, Simon. There's no that, that could ch- we could re-record that and then it would just change again by the time we re-record it. So just you, you'll have to deal with that intro. But imagine from Lavia's point of view here, these these guys were were trying to sign you for ages, but obviously didn't think you were worth the the sum that was being um, specified. Then they obviously rate Caicedo massively higher than you, so they go and, and put in a huge bid for him. Don't get him, and then come back to you and pay 
what we know they think is at least 33% over the odds <laughs> to sign their second choice. You know, they still have to do it though. They have to try to get Lavia. Now they have why? Because they don't have any midfielders. They don't. Have, yeah, but that that doesn't mean they have to spend sixty million but on a nineteen-year-old. Are in a position that they put themselves in. And there that's, are and other that's players that Saudi Arabia have helped to push them into as well. To be fair to them, where they actually have to sign a couple of midfielders. Surely they need to at this point step back. Like, you know, throw uh, ice water over themselves. I mean, this is it is insane. If they were to sign Lavia, honestly, it's like. The Peter Ridsdale Negotiator of the Year award goes to Liverpool Football Club. Well, they'd still be getting a player that they wanted, just paying a lot more money than they could have paid earlier in the summer. Well, paying more money than they think is sensible for the player, like way more. Because like play, no, no, players 50, always have, fifty million was apparently too much, and now sixty million. Players always have second. If the clubs always have second choices in the transfer market. Trossard, so, for example, seldom, for Arsenal. Is, seldom is it made so yeah. horribly apparent. I know, I'm thinking of Trossard who did, it came in to Arsenal and did all right, even though he wasn't supposedly their first choice. And it, it, there's probably loads of examples if I had time to go back and look for them. But yeah. I could throw at you right now, Ken, and say that he, this guy could still work out. It just obviously all looks a bit ridiculous how it's gone down. Yeah, although the, the Trossard one's a bit different because it's not as though Arsenal were trying to sign Trossard for ages before then suddenly trying to sign Mudrick. It was Mudrick, then, yeah, so yeah. They, they were yeah. trying to sign Mudrick. Chelsea ended up, um, obviously, gazumping them. And then it was like, oh, uh, who do we get given that Chelsea have signed? It, wa- it wasn't like, you know, tr- it wasn't like Trossard had been jilted and then suddenly Arsenal were texting him saying, uh, actually, you know, I've I've been thinking and I really think I actually think, we think can make be this all right. work. If he's got enough about him as a... Yeah, yeah, sure, it will be all right. But but, but what's happening? What's happening here is the price. Like this is madness. This is crazy. But sorry, you're saying, anyway, you're saying that Chelsea are going to get him now, though. No, no, I'm not saying Chelsea are going to get him. What we have is a similar situation uh, as with the Caicedo situation, where Liverpool are the only club that currently have a deal in place oh, yeah. with the club to sign. However, the player himself seems to want to join. Chelsea or the players agent or whoever you know that this this would be his preference if Chelsea can make a bid now the question for Chelsea from Chelsea's point of view is do we need to do that at this point you know uh he's it is a lot it's a it, money wise and we've just spent more money than we were expecting because Chelsea themselves were kicking the tires of Caicedo for ages before being kind of sh- oh no we've We've got to get him now. No, you know anything. We'll we'll spend anything to get this guy now, because someone else wants him. You know, <laughs> suddenly he's much more desirable now because other people want the uh-huh. thing. You know, so it's just now to get involved in this and to kind of play along with it. I think is the worst thing Liverpool could do at this point. They should just sign someone else, find another player, do what Brighton do, do what in fact Liverpool used to do, rather than sort of saying, oh well, we've got to sign one of these, we've got to spend all our money on one of these players that we've been kind of hyping ourselves up into a, into a frenzy over over the last what like this is mad he's 19 it's just completely nuts but what they've done is just honestly i mean i can't i can't remember such a bungle like to so that your your best option now appears to be to massively overpay for the guy that you you kind of decided you didn't want i you know there's just so many mistakes they could have just signed. They could have signed this guy easily in June for less money than they may now panic buy him. You know, just it's it's like right when David Moyes lost an auction against himself uh, for Fellaini. Remember, remember he when he signed Fellaini for Manchester United. Uh, he actually he was thinking about signing Fellaini, 
but then he he kind of dithered for too long until Fellaini's release clause expired and ended up signing him for more than he could have paid for him mm. the previous month. You know what I mean? Even right, though there was yeah, no one yeah. else. But this is like, I don't know, especially because it strikes me that the that Chelsea would not have gone in for Lavia in the first place if Liverpool hadn't gone in for Caicedo. You see what I mean? So it's almost getting involved in this... Yeah. Uh, well, they challenged Todd Bowley's manhood, Ken, as you mentioned on yeah. Thursday or Friday's pod, and and he just he doesn't take kindly to that. You know what I mean? No, you know, no, he's got no complaints there. He's had no complaints. <laughs> you know, you know, absolutely no problems in that department. <laughs> Says Todd. So, uh, so you know, I, I I just I can't really put it to words how how incompetent this this is, and I feel as though it's going to have a bad, it's going to have a really bad. Um, knock-on effect. I, mean, I think it makes everyone look bad. That You can see the atmosphere in that team is not great. Liverpool. Well, I mean, Klopp, you know, I didn't think was in was in the best mood. Salah, that that whole stuff. Come on. Yeah. Like, and, 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 and yeah, reacting I've, that way. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was doing it in such an ostentatious way. You know, he wanted everyone to know how pissed off he was. And so everyone was just like cheering. Ha, ah, you know, this is bloody... Uh, I, I mean, I thought, who, who does this benefit? He's supposed to be one of the leaders of the team. You know what I mean? But like there he's he's like sort of openly rebelling against the uh the manager or whatever. McAllister. Now you mentioned it, Ken, maybe we were reading too much about it. McAllister looked a bit pissed off. Do you remember he got his yellow card at one stage for asking for a yellow card for somebody else? Was that what it was for? Yeah, McAllister I forget who chopped him down. It was, it was one of those, yeah, it was one of those yellows that we're now gonna see more of. They refute him over the weekend for dissent and time wasting and these various things that are being clamped down upon. Well, yeah, Liverpool got one of those. One one each of those actually. Uh, which Klopp claimed afterwards, I knew this was going to happen. Which again, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds a bit persecution complexy. You know, it's it's a bit like they're all against us, you know. So like, yeah, this, this is not great on day one. You know what I mean? He was complaining about, it was, was it Alexander-Arnold who got booked for time-wasting on the throw? Uh, and then obviously McAllister who got booked for, uh, I, to me, the one that, that stood out was Jota getting booked for being headbutted by Enzo Fernandez, that was mm. a strange one. Um, so it was Fernandez fouled Jota, who jumped up to, like, oh, you know, what, what, you, what are you doing? And Fernandez then proceeds to Darwin-like, kind of put the nut on uh, on Jota. Remember, remember, Darwin Nunez did yeah. this in his in his debut, and that was a red card. This time it was a yellow card each. <laughs> I don't, I really don't understand this. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't see. I mean, uh, we're about to say, where's the consistency? I mean, I, I hate to do this, Owen, but like the the handball situation, the penalty thing. I mean, there was there was this remarkable handball in the Chelsea Liverpool game, um, where the guy um, it was is Nicholas Jackson mm-hmm. appears to be almost waving a hanky at the ball. Like the, the emotion as though waving hanky, the ball strikes his his fingertips yeah. so much so that he's almost like ooh, <laughs> and drops wide of the post. It, it, you know, he's jumped up and his and his hand is like next to his face, and it hits. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's a because I I was watching the Brighton game as well. The the penalty that was given against Brighton, Lewis Dunk, yeah. So he's sliding backwards. Ken can't express any words at the moment. He's just looking at me in total. But it's just amazing. So, in, in okay, so the discussion of the, the uh, Nicholas Jackson uh, penalty, as far as I can see, I saw Dermot Gallagher, for example, on Sky saying, well, the reason this isn't a penalty is that actually 
Luis Diaz has flicked the ball on there and it's come at him sort of from such short distance that like his arm is sort of tucked there and it struck his hand, which is kind of high. But at the same time, it's because of that diversion of the ball, then that then it's not a penalty. That's why this is the right decision. Mm-hmm. The, did the ball not hit Lewis Dunk on the arse before hitting his elbow, which was behind him? It looked like it, yeah. It, it did. Lo- it looked like it deflected off his off his arse, as you said. It, yeah, it, it, it hit the elbow. back of his arse, and his and and it and then his arm, which was it was the second arm, like it's behind him. It's not, the arm isn't out. It's just it bounces up onto his elbow. It was out a bit though. I, but he's, it it's out, out because and he's, the ref gave he's, lunge, he's lunging to he's lunging to try and stop across. Like you have to have your you have to have your elbows out at least to break your fall when you're doing that. Well, they do. Well, there's a specific guidance in there for when you're actually sliding and. and I, it's more for when your your arm is along the ground with you because what can you do besides have it there? Yeah. But it obviously doesn't extend to this particular situation, which was given as a red card. Now, it's one of those, like, given... A penalty rather no, than Nobody card. felt... A penalty, sorry. Yeah, nobody felt watching it really probably should have been a penalty, but then once it's given, it's not going to get overturned. Yeah. Because the elbow was out, I guess. You know, if, he, if his elbow tucked right in against him, well, I suppose it wouldn't have hit his... I might just hit his elbow yeah. at that point. I just... I, it just seems kind of... Utterly insane. Yeah, but I do like some of what they're doing with the. Where there's a lot of giving out about injury time, but if that is part of an overall change, which is to reduce. The idea is supposed to be that basically people will stop time wasting, stop doing all these things, and then you won't end up actually getting too many instances of, of 13 minutes injury time because along with the extra injury time, which is already a punishment in a way for the time wasting. There's also yellow cards being handed out. I don't all see over the place. why. I mean, if say if you just want to slow the game down, say if you're like, oh, they're kind of running away with this here. You know, we're get we're getting overrun here. Quick, do something. Somebody lie down. You know, some or somebody. You can engineer stoppages to break rhythm, and actually not have to pay the price of losing the time. You can just get the time later when maybe you're in a better mood. Like if you saw the Spurs uh, Brentford game. Right, Spurs or Brentford Spurs, I should say. The game was delayed because apparently there was some uh, issue with like water in the toilets or something, or the water wasn't flowing in the stadium, and it was like a public health and sanitation issue. Then they were like, "Ah, we'll just play anyway." And so they, so eventually they started playing. Um, Tottenham scored. The, 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 I mean, there was a concussion drama there as well because Romero got apparently concussed, got up, played on, scored. And then was substituted before the restart. I mean, his, his face as he celebrated his goal, a powerful header with his concussed head. Yeah. <laughs> people, people were running to congratulate him and he's like, oh, wait, wait. They, that seemed to be what he was saying. And he looking kind of groggy. And he's like, okay, we, we probably should take him off. But at least we at least we got the benefit out of his, his sacrifice there. Just nicely dramatizing how football is exploiting injured players. Although, would Romero change a thing? I mean, he'd probably. Well, at least Spurs took him off. Thing. A lot of a lot of managers probably wouldn't even do that. Just leave him on there. So yeah, he was taken off after the goal. Well, he, he's, better better late than never. He scored the goal. He did. He did the business. Uh, went off. Uh, Spurs promptly. I mean, Brentford were kind of hammering them before going one nil down and kind of kept going at them and got back uh, on top. Song gave away a penalty. Mbuma, who's like a little powerhouse with a remarkable Hammurabi beard now. He's really, <laughs> it's really come on to the next level over the summer. It just it absolutely looks magnificent. Uh, he uh, scored the penalty and then uh, it was a kind of Van de Ven on goal or a Wissa um, goal. And Brentford were two it up. And you thought, well, they have been the, really the better team here. But what happened then was they got to half time and suddenly it's 11 minutes 
of injury time. And there was, a, there was a interesting moment where the crowd, the Brentford crowd, you could hear them reacting to this 11 minutes that had gone up because Brentford had been completely on top, kind of hammering spurs. Uh, it looks like, um, you know, we're, we're all delighted. We, we go in at halftime, 2-1 up. What a, you know, what a great performance from the lads. Then suddenly it's like, no, it's not halftime. There's another 11 minutes now. You know what I mean? It's like, it was the first example I can remember of, of like a crowd thinking we've got to half time then suddenly being confronted with oh no you've not you know here there's a, there's, a, there's a lot more still to go and you could hear this audible like murmur of ooh you know kind of dismay from the supporters which honestly changed what was happening on the pitch immediately Tottenham actually scored like four or five minutes into the the out of time I think um, but you could kind of see the effect that that change suddenly had on the game where Tottenham were like, oh, we can still kind of, we can still rescue something out of the half. They did that. Actually, Brentford could have gone 3-2 up with Mbuma, but um, it was it was kind of a, I felt, that I think they were confused by the, not confused, but I, I, I felt like that really changed the, the rhythm of the game. At Just the, on at the, the time moment. wasting though, the a player now, if they go down injured, they have to leave and stay off for at least 30 seconds. So there's a, a phase of play there that they're going to be missing from so the thought there is that that will discourage that to a certain extent. What you're talking about, just pretending to be injured, and and also just, like all they can really do is get rid of the more egregious uh, elements of time time wasting, which we've all seen, and I think people would probably be happy enough to see the back of anyway. So yeah, I, I don't know. I like I, I'm not not mad keen on matches lasting twelve, thirteen minutes longer than they should do. But yeah. if it's part of an overall, depends whether you, whether your team needs a goal. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if your team needs a goal, and why is he only playing six minutes? Another, another scandal, another disgrace. So that was what was going on. I know. Obviously, it was also the, the first Tottenham game without Harry Kane, who went to Bayern, had the opportunity to win his first career trophy in the German Super Cup on uh, Saturday night. Came on as a substitute, lost three 0 Danny Olmo hat trick. Did you see the goal that he scored, where he um, spun round Matthias de Ligt? No. It was. Absolutely sensational, Danny Olmo. Everyone is suddenly like, "How come he's the only Leipzig player who didn't go to the Premier League this year? <laughs> What's happening here?" You know, Todd Bowley looking at Christopher and Kunku, thinking, "What exactly were we thinking?" Um, it was it was certainly uh, the kind of thing that that gets noticed. Um, what Danny Olmo did, obviously, un- unhappiness for Harry Kane, but uh, things will, I'm sure. I could I saw a lot. Tarmateus had some comments about Kane where he's kind of disgusted. He's a bit annoyed that they've that that they allowed themselves to be messed about by Tottenham to the extent to which they did. That calling it unbiron like, so so already there's a kind of a narrative thread there, at least espoused by somebody like Lothar Mateus, that Kane represents Bayern losing touch with their values, which uh, you know as a kind of an apex predator in the transfer market, what they do is they they offer their terms to the selling club and the selling club usually buckles, as Uli Hoeneß says, and simply has to accept that. And, you know, and they sign the player on schedule and for the budget that they predetermined. And that's not what happened in this case, where they were they were kind of taken pretty late in the window and had to go up by two thirds from their original offer. Um, Unbarn, like, oh, uh, I'm hoping Harry Kane doesn't become a, a vehicle for this sort of feeling of distress among some of the prouder... Um, oh, it's a wonderful game what we are playing here. <laughs> it's kind of characters. Some of the prouder uh, Bavarian people. I did see, or unfortunately hear, a little bit of a very awful Harry Kane tribute song that you sent on to me, Kane. Kane? 
can, I should say. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good. Hurricane signs for Bayern Munich. One, two, three, four. Harry, hurricane, yeah. Harry, hurricane. Who's England's going to score? It's Harry, hurricane. The save your king. Harry, hurricane, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think an immediate fade out, Simon. We probably let that go too long. What the hell was that? He really kept it going a long time. Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great. But of course, these things—it's water for ducks back, isn't it? Um, no one will be talking about that next week when he when he scores when he gets on the on the goal trail. Uh, I hope he doesn't do any in rush. You know, <laughs> like just not. No, surely, surely it's going to. Surely it's going to work, right? Surely, I think so. Surely it's going to work, um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk a bit more about Kane. I think with uh, with Jack and Rich, but um, the other big transfer sort today is Neymar to Saudi. That's happening. I mean, this is good for PSG, certainly, right? I mean, who who thought they'd be able to get rid of this guy? <laughs> you know, like there was no one. No one was going to take him. Nobody wanted Neymar. Like uh, he didn't want to be at PSG. But nobody in Europe was prepared to pay him what he was on. So it was looking like he was just going to be sitting there for a while, you know, occasionally playing and so on and so forth. But um, there's a home for him at Al-Hilal. So uh, it's a great day for, for PSG, I think. I mean, it's a sad... Neymar is going to do a lot of damage in the Saudi league, I'm going to guess. Well, he'd want to really, wouldn't yeah. he? Like, I mean, we see the kind of show that Lionel Messi is putting on it with Miami. Which is which has just been pretty funny to to watch. You know him. The most recent clip I saw was him sort of walking between two players who collide with each other. <laughs> um, there's a sort of cartoonish element to it. So if Neymar can't at least do that, uh, you would. Well, I, I'm sure Al Halal will be will be looking for a bit of that. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Where 
Independence Richard Jolly and the Athletics Jack Pickbrook are on the chat about the transfer market that has been rudely interrupted by the start of the Premier League. Hey guys, thanks so much for chatting today. Thanks for having us. Richard, yep, can good, I ask you first? Yeah, well, it's good to talk about what. So, okay, Chelsea end up with Caicedo. Liverpool look like they're going to end up with Lavia. So, I guess all's well that ends well. Yeah, you could say that. Um, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, <laughs> that's I the mean, most generous. It, it, it's simplifying the story this. somewhat, but yeah, they both get a good, high-quality midfielder to plug the obvious holes that they have in their team, as we saw yesterday. Oh, God. Yeah, they both contrived to pay more than they originally hoped to. Um, from Liverpool's perspective, Southampton's asking price for Lafayette has been clear all summer, and Liverpool have not felt he was worth it. And then they've kind of showed their hand by making a far bigger bid for Moses Caicedo, which shows the budget they've got. They also made a bit for Caicedo when a lot of people at Anfield have thought all summer that he was going to Chelsea, which com- appears completely inexplicable for a club who over the years have generally been a byword for smart transfers and doing their business quickly and cleverly and catching everyone else unawares. As for Chelsea, um, I don't think anyone should have any sympathy for them at all in that they created the market of the £100 million midfielder (laughs) by paying so much for Enzo Fernandes. And so a few months later on, Brighton, who are obviously very, very clever in such matters, immediately set a price of £100 for Moses Caicedo and duly got it. And not for the first time, Brighton are the big winners in all of this. Is this embarrassing for Liverpool, do you think, Jack, for the reasons Richard outlines there? And also you end up with Jurgen Klopp having to do a press conference on Friday where he's getting the old quotes thrown at him that he'd never spend £100 million on a player and he's having to say, well, you know, I was wrong on that score, while knowing and, and expressing that, well, we don't even have him yet anyway. So they've, they've, they've debased themselves and still not end up with the player. Yeah, exactly. It's... Um... It's the kind of worst of both worlds, isn't it? To compromise to compromise your own stated values in that in such a way, and also not to get the um, not to get the prize at the end of it. Uh, I also thought what I mean watching the game yesterday. I'm sure we'll come on to this, but it, Liverpool seemed to need Caicedo even more than Chelsea did. Like the, 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 they were so the fact that they couldn't really get a foothold in the game physically in midfield at all against you know against a, a chelsea team which is in in its in the first game of its new era made you think that in fact like maybe liverpool's desperation to get him was well grounded because at the moment it looks like they do have a gaping hole for a player like that in the team yeah i mean at least chelsea already have a 100 million pound midfielder who was who was pretty useful in the game but rich just what you were saying about um why they would do this when 
people um, at Anfield were pretty sure that he was going to go to Chelsea. You know, that was that was sort of the talk that was coming out on Friday morning. This It was Thursday night that they, they put in this huge bid. But already by Friday morning, you were hearing, mm, we think it's the chances of this happening are are not high. Why would they do that then? I mean, was this just for show? Is this was this a kind of um, oh look, you know, we're 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 still fighting for this title type of uh, type of thing from from FSG bidding for a player that they knew that they knew they would never actually end up paying that one hundred and ten million. I don't have a good answer to that, possibly because there isn't a good answer to that. And and, and I mean, I had a conversation with someone at Liverpool on Friday morning where the message was still we expect him to go to Chelsea. And it's the sort of thing that in recent years, bidding for a player you don't expect to get is the kind of thing that sometimes Manchester United have done and not Liverpool. Um, I mean, there is the broader context at Liverpool, which is that for a long time, Michael Edwards was in charge of transfers. He's gone. Julian Ward then had his one year in charge of transfers. He's gone. At the moment, the director of football is Jörg Schmatke, who's only been in the job for about six weeks and whose background is very much in German football, um, didn't exclusively sign from the Bundesliga with German clubs, but he's not someone accustomed to these types of deals. Uh, whether that's a factor, I don't know. Um, as Jack said, Liverpool do have a glaring need for a defensive midfielder. The one thing that they've got in the back of their minds um, and that they've had for a while is that they do really rate Stefan Bicetic very highly. Um, he's not fit at the moment. He's still only a teenager. So he's not someone they were going to lock into the position for 50 or 60 starts this season. So in that context, the the interest in Lavia made some sense of the idea that you sign another young player, not expecting either of them to start every game. But at the moment, they've shown their hand. They've shown they've got a big budget. Uh, they've, there are one or two other players they've been interested in in the past, like Czech Decore of Crystal Palace, like Andre. Well, the minute they ring up one of those clubs and say, what's the price? It's going to go up quite a lot. Um, I thought one of the interesting things being there and watching the game and seeing Alexis McAllister play as the defensive midfielder was that he was very, very good at the constructive side of things. Some of his passing from the base of midfield was excellent. And maybe for the Chelsea crowd, it reminded them a bit of having Jorginho there. The thing is, though, that when Chelsea had Jorginho and when it worked, he always had N'Golo Kante alongside him to, to actually do a lot of the, the running and the tackling. Um, and Liverpool had this probably the most attacking midfield that they've had in, in the Klopp era because his classic midfield was the triple workhorse, whether it was Henderson, Fabinho, Milner or Wijnaldum, three of those four. And instead it was Gakpo, who's a forward, Soboslay, who's a goal-scoring midfielder, and McAllister at the base of it all, who is a very, very talented passer, but who would also like to be playing alongside a Caicedo. So... Yeah, it was it was all quite unbalanced, both on and off the field. Yeah, they, I think they they ended up with their lowest figure for possession in about five years, um, which goes to show that just having a lot of good, you know, a lot of skilled uh, players on the pitch at the same time doesn't mean that they're actually going to be able to get the ball. But just I, I know that we keep postponing actually talking about that game, but Jack. <laughs> Who cares about football? What's man? happening with Chelsea at the moment? It's just like I mean. It, I don't, I don't understand it at all. This is the thing that, that just kind of keeps surprising me, Chelsea. I just don't get how this works. 
you know, there, there are supposed to be these uh, rules, FFP, and so on. Chelsea have just smashed everybody. Like, you know, the, 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 it's spending on the scale of, what, 800 million in three transfer windows. Nobody's ever done anything like this before. Not City, not Real Madrid, not PSG. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there was this whole thing of uh, the eight-year contract. Yeah. Remember they they Player rolled out amortization and all that that we came familiar with last year. But this is a, a a loophole which Chelsea supposedly were exploiting, which UEFA said they had closed or, or they were no longer going to allow you to amortize the transfer fee over the period of eight or nine years or however long the contract was. That the maximum was five, and yet I see that Caicedo has still been offered uh, an eight or possibly nine year contract. Can you do? Can you throw any light on any of this or explain what you think they're doing here? Uh, no and no. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm as curious as you are, Ken, to see how it all, um, how it all comes out in the wash, particularly in terms of, um, you know, uh, FFP and profit, um, profit and loss restrictions, which are in place in modern football. Um, I think that it's obviously is worth saying that they have got rid of a lot of players, uh, not just ones who they've let go or or loaned out, but some who they've sold, some who they've, they've sold for quite a lot of money, like, for example, Mason Mount. So it's not just pure... It's not pure loss at this point, but um, I think... And clearly, I think the, the squad needs this level of surgery. Like, it's been such a mess that they had to get rid of an awful lot of players and they had to bring in players who Pochettino could count on and who they can kind of build around to build a new, a kind of new ethos, a new a new dynamic there. But yeah, I, I, it's, I am as as curious as you are to see how uh, how all the numbers are going to add up at the end. Any um, anything to add on that from you, Rich? I mean, you know, you you were there at Sanford Bridge yesterday. Must have been the talk of the town. Uh, anyone have any ideas as to, as to how this thing's going to fly? Uh, no, um, I think they've driven a, a bulldozer through the regulations. Um, in terms of the numbers, Kaisoda will take it to about 900 million in the Todd Bowley era. They've brought in about 200 million. Um, it just doesn't add up. And at the moment, a lot of people are, are thinking and talking a lot about FFP. Now, this is one of the factors with Wolves. They need to make a profit of about 15 million this year because they've got a loss of about 120 million over the last two years. Manchester United are conscious of FFP. Manchester United obviously have a huge revenue. If you watch the current Newcastle Amazon documentary, one have, of have the, you have you watched it recently? I've seen the first couple of episodes. Okay, it's a financial fair play documentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. They, they are saying they need a shirt sponsor to create the revenue to spend it legally within FFP. Now, we all know they got a shirt sponsor and it's a Saudi Arabian company, so there's not much suspense to that. Hmm. But Chelsea don't have a shirt sponsor. Chelsea are not in Europe. Um, and yes, they're amortising some of these deals, but even then, that's mortgaging the future. There is a footballing question as to whether in 2028, 2029 and whatever, they're going to be really glad they still have Chizari, Kassadai and Kani Chukwameka and Malo Gusto and all these people. But from the simple numbers perspective, I, I just don't see how they can pass it now. Um, and don't the other point to be made is that Caicedo is not the last one. <laughs> yeah. They want a goalkeeper. 
They want a forward. Uh, they're, they're, in for, they're, they're in for Romeo, Romeo Lavia as well, of course. They want Lavia as well. I mean, Jacob Steinberg's reported that they want uh, Michael Alise as well. So that would be another winger. But Michael Alise, is, it's, like a, it's like a £60 million player minimum at this point. I think Elise has got a release clause, but even then, it's 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 all money. And and Jack did say they've got holes in the squad, and that's true. But they've created some of the holes in the squad. Mm. You know, twelve players have gone out this summer. That could go up to seventeen, eighteen, nineteen by the time the window closes. The whole Kepper thing makes no sense, and I've never been a fan of his as a goalkeeper. But they had him. He actually had a half decent season last year. And they've just loaned him out to Real Madrid. They've not sold him. The bloke who played in goal for them yesterday ended last season as Brighton's second-choice goalkeeper and cost £25 million in the summer. And then when you look at the kind of what you might call the big six, big seven teams, is Robert Sanchez a goalkeeper of the standard of Alisson and Edison and Nick Pope and Aaron Ramsdale uh, and Andre Anana? At the moment, I don't think so. So Chelsea have managed to sort of somehow spend quite a lot of money and end up with potentially a worse goalkeeper than their rivals. They have got a bloody good midfield though, Jack. I mean, with Enzo Fernandez playing, if he produces yesterday's performance that level consistently and Caicedo in there, I know it all seems very chaotic and there are holes and it is absolutely insane what's going on at that club. But, you know, we see by the amount of money that's being paid on these centre mids at the moment how important they are to how teams play in the modern game and probably always were. So surely having players of that calibre, if they can gel together, Chelsea are onto something. Yeah, I always thought Fernandez was probably the most interesting player in the Chelsea squad in terms of what Pochettino would do with him. Because clearly, I mean, he's clearly very, very gifted. But I, frankly, when, when Chelsea signed him, I didn't think he looked fit. I didn't think he looked up to play in the Premier League. Um but he, if you look at, if you look again back at Pochettino's time at Tottenham, one of the most important things that he really did was bring the best out of Moussa Dembele, and he did that really through physically transforming him. You know, Dembele was often accused of being out of shape when he first showed up at, at Tottenham. He was he was often getting injured. The game would pass him by a bit, although there were no questions about his ability. And because Pochettino's so big on fitness and physical strength and measuring players diets and you know doing saliva tests every morning to see to to check up on their physical state all that kind of intense fitness and monitoring work it it, it he physically transformed a lot of those Tottenham players and if you look at it and I remember somebody saying to me when Pochettino took over that if he can if he can bring the same kind of physical transformation in Enzo Fernandez and make him fitter and stronger and tougher then really the the sky is the limit in terms of how good he can be. Like the way that he used the ball yesterday, he, I think he I think he did look a bit stronger and sharper. But I, you know, I wasn't there, and I, d- I don't watch Chelsea every single week, so let's wait and see on that. But I um I, yeah, I think there's huge potential there. And if they can get a Caicedo alongside him, then I think um all of a sudden it's a it's a very impressive engine room. What do you uh, what have you made of Pochettino at Chelsea so far, Jack? I mean, you. Uh... I suppose the phrase is worked with him closely uh, as a as a member of the media covering the, those great days at Tottenham Hotspur under Mauricio Pochettino. I mean, you know, you spent a lot of time watching the guy and uh, going to his games and interpreting his moods. Uh, we had John Bruin on last week who said he uh, he got the feeling with Pochettino he wasn't quite the same man when he was um, he, he was sort of watching some of his uh, his Chelsea stuff 
so far. Uh, what do you make of him and his moods? Does he still seem like the same potch to you? Uh, I don't think he is the same man as he was when he took over at Tottenham, just because he's, you know, he, that was nine years ago. And since then, he's had, you know, a, a hugely emotional kind of um, up and down with Tottenham. He's had 18 months of PSG, where, you know, which was where he learned a lot. And it was a very, diff- very, very different way of managing. And I think he had to, you know, he clearly had to compromise some of his principles to to, be, to manage PSG. Um, so I think he's probably, yeah, I think he's probably more rounded now than he was then. I think what makes Chelsea, I think the big question really with Pochino at Chelsea is, is it going to be more like, is it going to be more like when he was at Tottenham or is it going to be more like he, when he was at PSG? You know, does he have a blank slate where he can, he can sell who he wants and bring in who he wants and instill his style of play and be that kind of big dominant figure on the, in the dressing, sorry, on the training ground and get all the players, um, doing exactly as he says and willing to run through brick walls for him. Because if he gets that, it'll be like Tottenham, it'll be great. Or is it such a kind of political mess that he can't exert that power and he over the players, over the rest of, over the board, that he doesn't get a say in transfers, that he he can't really get the players performing to his tune. And then it'll be more like PSG. So this really is, I think, the number one question. I kind of, I'm a little bit optimistic. I do think that, because Chelsea have been so bad recently, and it is such a shambles, I do think he has the opportunity to mould things a little bit more than PSG. I don't think that any of the players are kind of egos on the sides of the players he inherited at PSG. And I think that, so I do think there is an opportunity there, but it's going to be a colossal, I mean, even before you get to the football, it's going to be a colossal job of squad management, just... Mm in the first six months or so because he's got to he's got to figure out who are the players he wants, who he, who are the players he doesn't want, who are the players who aren't buying in, who's gonna to have to get rid of, and they're gonna to have to accept even more losses on those guys before he can really start to to make it his own. Yeah, he does he does at least have a really young squad there, which I think probably suits him. You know, both yeah. you know, there there aren't like kind of, you know, massive players like Messi or Neymar who we might talk about in a minute. Um, you know, who want things to be done a certain way. Like most of the squad is under 25. Like I think only one third of the squad is over 25. So, you know, they can probably take some serious um, physical training without doing too much complaining about it. And maybe this is the this is just the kind of squad that suits them. But I just want to ask you, Rich, about, about your impression of <laughs> what kind of season Liverpool are going to have. Like this shambles, I think, will obviously will, will eventually for, be forgotten. But it does kind of... It makes them look like idiots, you know. Even if they do get Romeo Lavia, it looks like they've they've completely bungled this uh, summer. You know, they've ended up paying way more for a player they were haggling to pay less. They made him. They made it clear to him, "You're our second choice by miles." But and you're way overpriced at fifty million. <laughs> but we have to buy you for sixty million now because we've sort of shot ourselves in the foot. So that's not good. I saw Klopp, you know, making. He had a little pop at Eddie Howe, or you know, Newcastle. He mentioned the. It was kind of a joke, but at the same time, I was kind of like, why are you talking about that? You've got to play them in two weeks. And I saw their game, and they're going to absolutely destroy you. You know, I kind of felt like this is... This, a lot of indicators are pointing in the wrong direction at this moment. We haven't even mentioned the, the whole Mo Salas drop, which was extraordinary. You know, I mean, I know people say, oh, players are passionate. They don't want to, you know, they, of course, they they don't want to be taken off. But, like, that was... 
that was incredible. Like the, the whole place was laughing at him because he was making it so obvious that he didn't want to come off. This is the most elements you've ever put into one question. Well, and that's I mean, saying something. <laughs> I, the, the, a lot of these elements, uh, Rich, strike me as as not promising. Yeah, the Salah thing was interesting because he kept finding more and more things to rip off. Yeah. He wasn't actually wearing that bigger bandage or anything, but he seemed to rip off about four or five different things. It was all quite weird, partly because it's the first day of the season. So why is this frustration built up? It's not as though he's been substituted in five previous games or anything like that. So I, th- I thought that was a bit odd. I mean, in terms of Liverpool in general, I thought they made a really good start to their summer you know, targeting McAllister and Soboslai, getting them in quickly and early for release clauses and for de- for decent prices. Then came the unexpected element, the disruption caused by uh, the Saudi interest in Fabinho and Henderson. And that's where it all started to go wrong because it's actually quite a few weeks since that emerged. Um, and they could have signed, not even if it wasn't Romeo Lavia, they could have signed someone quite some time before that. I think some things at Liverpool actually do look quite positive. Um, The forward line could be very good. They could score a lot of goals this season. It's worth remembering, last season, even amongst that sort of really difficult start, after about six or eight weeks of the season, two Liverpool players were playing brilliantly. And one of them was Alisson, and the other one was Luis Diaz. And that injury to Luis Diaz early in last season, I felt was huge, and, and that really could have affected things. So Diaz, could, having a fully fit Diaz all season, if they do, could be an, a, a real game changer, a real transformative element. Um, but they just need that balance in midfield uh, and they need that from a signing. And they, need, they also need that signing to settle in straight away. Uh, and it's worth remembering that when Fabinho joined Liverpool, his contributions until about the December of the season were negligible and unimpressive. And then suddenly it it all worked, it all fitted. He understood what he was supposed to do. And that was Fabinho who'd been brought in right at the start of the summer. Now, anyone now is coming in when the season has already started. And as you say, they've got that Newcastle game. They've also got Aston Villa after that, who admittedly didn't have such a good start to the season. They might look at Newcastle and see an example of a team who have signed a defensive midfielder for about £60 million who looks absolutely brilliant in Sandro Tonali. Mm. Now, clearly, that Newcastle were very quick to act in that respect and Liverpool at that point thought Fabinho and Henderson were still staying. But that could be a real determining factor because at the moment, Tonali would walk into this Liverpool team and if he didn't, Bruno Guimaraes would. Yeah, Alexander uh, Isak would as well. He'd waltz in there. Yeah, he, he's, he's an absolutely sensational player. And one of the things Newcastle have done very cleverly and very well is that when they've gone in and got players, they've got, not all, because Dan Byrne clearly isn't the most talented player in the world, but they've gone and bought some genuinely high-quality players who can fit into those big clubs. And in the case of people like Nick Pope and Kieran Trippier, they've done so for bargain prices. And in the cases of people like Guimaraes and Izek and Tenali, they've bought ones who are young enough but also good enough that they could be top-class players for a long time. So, I, t- I mean, I still think Liverpool will finish in, in, in the top four and I thought there were some encouraging elements from yesterday but it all highlighted how much they need to sort out the midfield which was the recurring theme of the whole of last season as well. What about Tottenham? And I remember on the pod the yes, other day you, um, you compared 
Liverpool right now to late, uh, like late era Wenger's Arsenal, mm. uh, in the context of the manager having too much power over everything that happened at the club, including transfers. But that's kind of how I felt it looked on the pitch yesterday. You know, too many attacking players, no physical edge. You know, physically overwhelmed really by. Um, a fitter team and uh, unable to really get any kind of solid foothold in the game. And it did feel quite, you know, it did feel a little bit like you were watching the last few years of Wenger's Arsenal um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of how they were over, particularly overrunning that second half. The post Harry Kane era has begun for Tottenham with a draw at Brentford. Jack, I mean, a tidy bit of business, you'd have to say from Daniel Levy picking up a hundred million pounds for a player who would have gone for nothing next summer but is that how Tottenham fans will view it at this point do you think? Well I think Tottenham fans in the main are pretty sad about the fact that Kane's left um, they you know obviously he's been their greatest player of the modern era maybe their greatest player of all time and has it's you know he's so deeply associated with the club that I think nobody ever wanted, wanted to see him leave I do think that the deal they've got is a really good deal. It feels a bit to me like a kind of pre-COVID deal. You know, I didn't think that big clubs, certainly not, you know, in Europe, as in traditional big European clubs rather than in Saudi Arabia, would pay 100 million for a 30-year-old with one year left at this point. That kind of felt to me like something which we'd seen the back of. Uh, I think it also shows that Daniel Levy remains able to get very good deals in negotiations where he's got a high value asset and he's got a big club who really wants him. You know, you can draw a line between this and, you know, Berbatov going to Man United, Bale going to Real Madrid, Kyle Walker going to Manchester City. So yeah, it's a, it is a good deal for Spurs. Although I think the fact that they've had to do it, the fact that, I mean, the reason this has happened is because Kane wouldn't sign another contract and he wouldn't sign another contract because Spurs have been so bad for the last five years. So, uh, and that fact does not reflect well on Daniel Levy at all. But the deal itself is not a bad one, I think, in the circumstances. How do you think Daniel Levy feels about this? I think he feels... I think he probably feels he's got a good deal. Did he, uh, did, think do you think he, he wanted Kane to actually stay? I think he wanted Kane to sign a new contract. Yeah. And he didn't want Kane... The one thing he wouldn't want is Kane to do a Saul Campbell, which is what would have happened. If they, if they hadn't sold him, Kane would have done a Saul Campbell. He would have gone on a Bosman, probably to... Uh, Chelsea, Man United, um, mate, probably not Manchester City, uh, but to another Premier League club, Levy would have had no say in it whatsoever. And I think that would have been a total disaster for Tottenham, you know, financially in terms of um, prestige to have lost to have lost control of, of the situation. You know, I was really surprised, uh, was it about three and a half years ago, they let Christian Eriksen go down to the last six months before they sold him to Inter Milan. But that's not a situation that... Levy has ever wanted to happen post Saul Campbell. Um, so I I think he's pleased he's avoided that. This is really the best outcome for Levy. You know, he's, he's one, he's got the money, and two, Kane's kind of out of the picture. Like, he's not going to be scoring against them this season or helping a different team to finish in the top four ahead of Spurs. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you take a step back, the fact they've had to they've had to lose him is is obviously pretty bad. Well, is it bad from the point of view of Ange Postacoglu, do you think, um, his first game, obviously? Uh... I actually think now is the best time for it to happen in the sense that this is a, you know, this is a big kind of clean start moment. You know, everything starts from scratch. You've got a new set of ideas. Postacoglu has a lot of patience, I think, from the fans and from the board. Uh, people are not, you know, it's not like Conte or Mourinho coming in where they expect instant results from the first sort of six to 12 months. And therefore, if you're going to, if you've got to lose Kane, either 
now and get money or next summer for free you might as well lose him now because this is a this is a transitional season anyway and it might be better to get all the you know to do it now rather than do one season of Postacoglu with Kane and then lose him and then have to you know revamp the team in a different way next season um which is already going to be Andrew's second year so I actually think now is now is the best time to do it um and what about in terms of what they're actually going to do now that Harry Kane is gone I mean Ange Postacoglu, I think, has already said we don't want to sign a direct replacement for Harry Kane. Is that just him sort of... Yeah, is, that, is that just because he doesn't want all of the centre forwards to double in price? Or what do you think he's actually uh, thinking there? They've got they've got a lot of money. There's going to be pressure to, to do something. So what do you expect them to do over the next couple of weeks? I think part of the issue here is they spent £50 million on Richarlison last summer. Um, and they don't want... You know, they want to see a bit of return on that investment. Yeah, he obviously started through the middle at Brentford yesterday. I think we'll see. You know, I think we'll see quite a lot of him. I don't think they will. I, at the moment, I don't think they will go and go and sign another big name number nine. It's more likely that they will continue. You know, a little bit like with Bale ten years ago. You know, they will continue to upgrade, try and get younger players in different positions, spread the, spread the money around. Ooh, really, what it hinges on is: is Son going to be bad like he was last season, or is he going to be good like he was before last season? Because if Son is they, good, they, again, they made him the captain. Know, they, I mean, it's a huge, it's a kind of have, huge. Yeah. And you wondered, you wondered watching him yesterday. He, he didn't have a great game yesterday. Obviously, gave away gave away a penalty, a couple of chances that I expected him to score that the, that the goalkeeper saved, uh, or or he knocked wide. And I thought, I wonder if Tottenham made him the captain just at a point when his career goes into a kind of a decline. Well, this is the problem, really, is that last season, and this is this is kind of this explains why Spurs were so bad last season. I think more than anything else, Son basically went from Liverpool Fernando Torres to Chelsea Fernando Torres overnight. Yeah. Now, there's lots of potential reasons why that might be in the case. He was playing through a really bad injury, which he's finally had surgery on. I think Conte was using him the wrong way, getting him to come short for the ball instead of running him behind. I don't think that Conte's training program got the best out of Son at all. Now, it might be that those factors have gone away or changed the season and Son will be back to his best and if he is I think Spurs will be fine because he'll score a lot of goals but if he's you know if he, if it is another season of him as Chelsea Fernando Torres mm. then I think Tottenham are just going to struggle to, to to score enough goals so a huge amount rests on whether we're going to get a good Son or a bad Son this season Well Gary Lineker has an answer to all this Richard and that is Republic of Ireland international Evan Ferguson who Lineker believes Spurs should go for now as the Harry Kane replacement what do you reckon? Well, I mean, if you leave someone at Brighton and to play a full season there, they're they're going to cost 115 million, aren't they? So, um, and I'm not sure Daniel Levy wants to spend that. Now, it's it's an interesting question because the Harry Kane situation relates to the Declan Rice one. It relates to Gareth Bale at Tottenham all those years ago and Luis Suarez leaving Liverpool all those years ago, which is that when you've got that player who is leaving a club at a certain level for a, when he is one of the best players in the world or in his position and at that price, you're not going to get a replacement of the same quality. Because at the moment, a £100 million centre-forward doesn't want to join Tottenham. A £100 million midfielder doesn't want to join West Ham, if you're that good. You then say, well, OK, do we divide the boat? We have to. There's no point spending £100 million on someone who isn't good enough. So you then end up dividing the budget one way or another in, and getting different players. And I mean, West Ham, for instance, have already bought two different central midfielders in Edson Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse. 
Tottenham, as, as Jack said, did a bit of future planning perhaps by signing Richarlison last summer, albeit they, they, he then had a pretty disastrous first year there, which doesn't exactly get him off to a flying start. Um, you would think they would need another centre-forward, um, part, and not partly because they're now basically down to one with Richarlison, partly because this is a guy who scored one league goal in his first season there. The model would presumably be to try and sign someone young because Richarlison is the first choice at the moment. Evan Ferguson looks incredibly promising, incredibly good, but Brighton have less need to sell than absolutely anyone else. Mm. Um, but I do think it has to be more of a, a collective effort at Tottenham, and one of that is Son scoring more goals. James Madison's a big part of that. I think he's a superb signing. Uh, but yeah, the reality is that whatever Tottenham do, they're not going to get a player as good as Kane. Jack, Evan Ferguson, what do you reckon? Uh, I think he's a great player. I think it would be... I think he'd probably be better served be, being at Brighton. Oh, it's Brighton definitely better for him. Very... We, I was making this way. It's yeah. definitely better for Evan Ferguson to stay at Brighton for a lot of reasons. He's playing under Roberto De Zerbi, who's one of the most highly rated managers in the world. Exactly. He's playing under less pressure than obviously he would be if he went to, to replace Harry Kane at Tottenham. Uh, there's a load of reasons why Evan Ferguson should stay at Brighton. But from the other side of things, should Tottenham try to sign him? Or would it be a good signing for, from the Tottenham point of view? Well, last time, last time Tottenham tried to sign a Brighton player, they actually got a really good deal. They got Bissouma for twenty-five million, uh, and yeah, I think we saw yesterday how good how good Bissouma is, even though he didn't show it last season under Conte. But I just don't think. Look, I think Ferguson's fantastic, but I don't. If you were trying to think, what's the best way for Spurs to spend the Harry Kane money, at you know, so they can spend it on more than one player and getting good value for money. I just don't think you'd go for Ferguson. I think if, like for, Brighton would see Tottenham coming and if they wanted, if they really wanted him, they'd have to pay so much money that they would basically have, it would, it would put too much pressure on him. For, and, for and an 18-year-old. Play yeah. him as well. Uh, and I just don't, to me, that doesn't quite, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it fits quite right. Um, just lastly, I wondered, uh, Rich, what, what is your reaction to the news that Neymar is uh, joining the Saudi Pro League, he will become a teammate of Caldo Kulabali and Ruben Neves at, which one is it, Al-Hilal? Mm-hmm. Al-Hilal, what, what do you make of, uh, what do you make of that uh, move? And does it perhaps uh, suggest that Neymar's time as one of the very top players in the world is drawing towards its close? Well, I think it's one of the least surprising signings of the summer. I mean, once the Saudi League came along and started spending all that money on really big names, Neymar was just about the most obvious person to go there, especially when PSG seemed to have decided that their Galacticos project is at an end. Um, yeah, I think it does bring an end to Neymar's uh, time as one of the world's top players. That's partly his fault. He shouldn't have left Barcelona to begin with. He left you know, for the money, for the to, ch to chase the Ballon d'Or. He's never actually come close to the Ballon d'Or since leaving Barcelona. I think physically there are concerns about him. He Over a few years at PSG, he played just over half of the games, about 55%. He was injured every season. I don't think his lifestyle is such that he's going to be a James Milner type at 37, winning the bleep test every year. Uh, and so... This is partly Neymar's fault, the reality. And, and he'll get very, very well paid in Saudi Arabia. But I think there's also a question about what happens with Brazil. 
I think that should be Vinicius Junior's team now, whereas it's been Neymar's team for the last few years. He has turned himself into a bit of a sideshow, a bit of an irrelevant player. Um, and yeah, goodbye. <laughs> okay, goodbye to the two of you as well. Richard, Jack, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. I'm having a buzz flounder now. Anyone want to not give me a shell? Six million ways to die. Choose one. I don't like the name him because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it was a daft. This was a dig at football people who know the game. Using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes, ears and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to them, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls and the stones. Have a proper debate. I'd love to debate him. You could... Sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack, don't forget. Mm. And has been for some time without naming people. He, he mentioned pundits. Mm. Well, who are the football pundits? <laughs> I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have... You just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. Donald Murphy emailed in after our Premier League preview last week. Mm informing us regretting to report that he was utterly utterly aghast with the preview as a lifetime Aston Villa fan I've been accustomed to Villa and cricket getting roughly the same airtime and second captains which is to say not very much I think is the insinuation here despite this I was eagerly anticipating the chat this week surely Unai Emery's Claret and Blue Army will get a good once over from John Jonathan and the lads 38 minutes in Ken teases me by pointing out that Villa have the second, yes, second best record in the Premier League in 2023. Could this be a precursor to a proper preview of Villa's chances of crashing the top four party? A Europa Conference League challenger, perhaps? It was but a false dawn. The team with the second best record in 2023 have strengthened with Tielemans, Diaby and Pau Torres for basically the same amount of money Anthony cost United. Surely this is good business if this email is read out. I have a strong expectation that Villa will have given it to Eddie and Mike's Toon Army. Will this be enough to please put some respect on Villa's name? Yours sincerely from Donald Murphy in Bray. Well, I'm afraid they didn't give anything much to Eddie and Mike's Toon Army. Villa are down to fourth in the 2023 <laughs> uh, table. I'm sorry, Donald. City, Arsenal, Man United, Villa, Brighton, Newcastle, Liverpool. I did originally intend to read that out on Friday and there was just a lot of other emails and stuff synth week going on. So I only got to it now and and your bubble has already been burst. Well, all these exploding knees are turning into a big problem with Villa. Uh, Emi Buendia and Tyrone Mings. Yeah. Um, Both have got, I mean, Mings has done a cruciate, I think. Uh, I think Buendia had the same injury. I see Real Madrid have a similar epidemic with... Courtois, um, which is why they've loaned in Kepa and uh, Militao. Uh, both had um, cruciate uh, ligament injuries in the last week, so total disaster for them, really. Yeah, 
Again, sorry, Donald. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Good luck with the rest of the season, Donald. We, we do hope that things are rescued from this point on for Aston Villa. Thanks for listening today. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll have more Premier League coverage during the week. Manchester United, of course, getting their campaign started tonight. And we'll be chatting about the World Cup semi-finals as well. Become a member now on secondcaptains.com. You will not have to hear any more ads if you are a member of the Second Captains World Service. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. <laughs>